Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody. I'm very excited about this show today. My guest is Elizabeth Conte. She's an award-winning women's fiction writer who brings what she loves about 19th century literature, let me pronounce that properly, to the 21st century reader. Welcome back, Elizabeth. Thanks, Marcia. It's so good to be back. You know I adore your shows, and I'm so excited to be here again. Well, you know, it's it's funny how connections happen, and you and I have talked several times, minus the podcast time, and every time I speak with you, I I just feel, I, my, my hand just went out right over my heart. My It just makes me feel, <laughs> I, seriously, it just makes me feel so connected to you, and we don't live that far from one another. One of these days we're going to meet. No, we don't. But yeah. we sure will. But, be, but before, be, but to continue with this podcast... Um, for those people that didn't hear you, our podcast last year, I thought you could just tell everybody just a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a local. Uh, I'm actually native Californian. There's not many of us, as you know. So I live in Southern That's California right. in Orange County, like you said, not far from you. I, um, okay. I have a husband. I'm married. And I have two, uh, I hate to say this, adult children. One's 25 <laughs> and one's 20. I don't know how that happened. I know. Because what you just twenty five. And I have a dog. Can't forget my dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. you have so, a dog. I forgot you had a dog too. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. You know it. So uh, you know, I have a family and a life. Yes. And you know, there's something about living a life with purpose. And when you have a family, um, there that uh, that brings immediate purpose to our lives. But depending mm-hmm. upon how you move forward, you know sort of defines you and you know people that that know my backstory know that you know i i didn't think i'd be on this journey but i didn't expect my husband to die in 2014 or two, i mean 2009 so um mm. but i do live a purposeful life as do you and not only that you are very accomplished um i want to congratulate you on the silver award in the category in the, in the literary category for love story and romance, because that just happened for Finding Jane, which is what we talked about when you joined us the last time. So we're going to talk a little bit about that book as well. But for those people, but congratulations. I don't want to overstate Thank that. You. And I also, but I also want to send people, people, people don't always know how names are spelt. And I think it's important for people, if they want to go to your website, which is beautiful, Elizabeth is is not spelled any differently than every every Elizabeth you've ever known, from Taylor to anybody else. (laughs) But her last name is spelled, thanks for laughing. I I paid her to laugh, you guys. Her um, her last name is Conte, and that's spelled C-O-N-T-E. And so her website is ElizabethConte.com. And there you will see her mm-hmm. sweet face in front of that brick wall. So, but we're going to talk about why 
you started writing because that's a, a great story, and I'd love for you to share that. Well, I started writing because, like I said, I, I you said earlier that I like 19th century literature, and I want to bring that to the 21st century woman or reader in general. Mm-hmm. And that's, I wasn't finding what I loved about classic literature. And so, I, you know, I've always been a writer, but I thought, you know, I have stories in my head. Let's do this and write the story. They always say for an author, write the story that you would read. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what I did. I, write the, I wrote the story that I wanted to read in the way that I wanted to read it. And what I love about that is just the um, nuances of old world writing that they, they, we kind of skip over in today's writing. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of descriptions and a lot of characters and and um, that the drama and depth. There's just something I think that's missing in modern literature because we're, we live in a world that's very fast paced. You know, we, we want it right now, right here, right in front of our faces, and it's gone, and we have something new. Where literature in the past was, you know, people had to imagine what everything was. People didn't travel. You know, they didn't have the experiences that we can have in an instant. There wasn't photography. There wasn't television. So you had to write it. And I think a lot of modern literature goes really fast about get to the point. Show me what's happening right now. And I was mm-hmm. missing that that long, drawn-out drama of a story of walking into a room and being told what it looks like and who's sitting there and how you know, there are little nuances about how they talk or, you know, what they're wearing, or, you know, what's sitting on a table, because it all enhances the story for me. And so that's right. why I started writing, because I wanted to bring back that kind of literature to, in a way, I should say, to the 21st century person so that they weren't bored, but they still got that, that feeling that I'm, I was looking mm-hmm. for. It was more about a feeling than it was just about the words or about the story. Did you love writing as young as a child when you were growing up in, in school? Yeah, I loved to write. My father was a teacher, so um, mm. he read a lot. We read a lot, and I wrote a lot. It was just you know, it was a different world. <laughs> I'm, a Gen, I'm a Gen Xer. Um, you know, so yes. we spent our, our free time reading, playing, writing, playing music, things right. like that. We didn't have all this, mm-hmm. all this stimulation on electronics. So, yeah, I've always written. And um, I, I kind of have to laugh because when I was in the business world, I was told to stop writing so much in my emails. Get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That that's so, that's so funny. That, that there you go. Yeah, there you go. So you categorize <laughs> your writing as literary romance. So define what that means to us. What is a literary romance? Yeah, so it's not really, uh, I, I would say, a known category. And, again, it's going back to that old-world genre of romanticism. But mm-hmm. romance in, in itself is a category. It's a genre, just like mystery is a genre or fantasy is a genre. And genre fiction tends to be more plot-driven, and it has a, a typical arc. So when you pick up a romance, you usually know the drama that's going to happen. It's a cute, meet cute they fall in love, something happens, they get separated, and they, you know, you know, they have a hero that comes and gets them back together, and they, and there's a happy ending. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, an arc of a romance, and I mean that in a very general way. Um, mm-hmm. And in literary writing, it's more character-driven, not plot-driven. So it's about the character and character development. So I wanted to kind of mesh what I love about literary work and bring romantic element back into literary and we have stories like that and I, I would categorize like um 
um, Pride and Prejudice like that or, you know, maybe mm-hmm. like an Outlander or, um, gosh, I, I can't even think of all the books that I've, I've loved over time. Um, oh, like Out of Africa or maybe A Room with a View mm. or um, oh, even the yeah. Guernsey Literary and Potato Pie um, Club, uh, Book Club or something like that, Society. Those are books that I would say are very literary, but they're also very romantic. And so I would categorize that as literary romance. And that's kind of what I want to bring back. I love romance. I love romantic stories, but I'm not really a plot-driven reader. I like more literary Mm -hmm. works. And so I want to mesh the two. I I hope that makes sense. That does. That's very very interesting. I mean, that, I think that that really does describe you well, and you, you refer to 19th century writing, but what makes the writers of the past so significant? Because they obviously played a part in this. What makes them so significant to me? Yes. Are you asking? Um, I am. I, I think it's the... What's a, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's cute. the quality of the writing, and, it, and it's, it, it's, it's what... Um, you know, I said earlier that I want I want to read a book and feel it, where a lot of our stimulation and entertainment is just seeing it. And I think when you read a book, you should feel the book. And when you leave it, you mm-hmm. feel empty because you've been involved in that. And that's, to me, what I get out of 19th century literature, is that I feel those stories rather than just reading it. That's that's very interesting. I have a feeling that people that read like you do, that spend a lot of time reading, that are in book clubs and do these kinds of readings, um, books, I I would imagine that they would say the same thing. You want to feel something. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. a TV person. I want to feel something when I'm watching something that's significant. I'm relating to Mm -hmm. what it is. So I understand what you talk about when you want people to feel it. But so how have those past writers, some of those creative writers in the past, how did those people contribute to your writing? Um, first of all, probably um, I tend to write a lot of descriptions. Um, I have a lot of uh, dialogue with tags on them, meaning like he said, she said, but it might be a movement um, that I explain. My words are, <laughs> people go, oh, my God, you write so much. <laughs> well. Because I love words. And the beauty of mm-hmm. words is also a, a part of, of writing. And like I said, sometimes we tend to write things just to be really, we live in a very fast-paced world. And everything's quick, yes. quick, quick. You know, get to the point. I want to, I want to kind of, I want to stay there and feel it and, and move around in it. And so words do that for me. And that's what I love about reading is that you, you kind of get dive in and get to stay there for a while and, and mm-hmm. imagine and create in your head. And, and it's not just like going by really quick, getting uh, – so I, I like that today too. I, I, I might listen to, um, you know, a video or something like that. I'm like, okay, get to the point already. <laughs> yeah. You, well, I, you know what? I, I'm thinking about you and I'm visualizing you right now. And I'm visualizing uh-huh. you reading something that you've read before but maybe you're reading something that you haven't read before. Are you one of those people that takes a highlighter and highlights text oh, yes. in books? I, I highlight phrases that I think are really um, uh, deep or that I want to remember mm-hmm. or just kind of chew on. Um, I mm-hmm. circle words that I love. I, I'm a 
you know, you said, how did the other uh, authors influence you? It's words. I love new words. I, I don't have the grandest uh, vocabulary, but I do love words and the usage of it and how they arrange it. Um, I love mm-hmm. adjectives and adverbs that a lot of writers will hate today because they say cut those. But, um, yeah, I, I am a highlighter, and I put little notes at the end, that, and I circle paragraphs that I want to discuss with people. <laughs> I'm a nerd. No, I, I like that because I think that shows organizational skills, frankly. And um, when people do highlight things, you know, I think it allows you to go back and go, oh, yeah, that's right, you know, or maybe it just brings it to your attention. Uh, when your kids were growing up, were they big readers as well? Um they had to be because the schools that they went to, there was a lot of reading. And I I, I think that's okay. good and that's bad because now that mm-hmm. they're older, it's like, oh, my God, I had to. I mean, they read philosophy books. So I thought they're giving you what to read. This is hard for, for their wow. little minds, you know, or just really depressing mm-hmm. things that I thought, oh, they're good stories. So I think they kind of got mm-hmm. burned out. Um, like I said, mm-hmm. my father was a teacher, so and he tutored at home. So we had a big library in, in the garage, and we always had books. My dad was a big reader. My mom was a big reader. So um, – I just, I am, my sister's a big reader. My, all my families are big readers. So we're just, that yeah. was kind of our, our thing. You know, I, I was thinking about um, your first book, um, Finding Jane, and, and I was, has it ever just occurred to you, because we're going to talk about your new book that just came out, mm-hmm. but could you imagine in your mind a movie based on your book? Well, yeah, I think every writer does. <laughs> you asked that question. Okay. Every no, I actually pictured it as a miniseries because oh, even there better. are so many elements to it. And again, because of my writing and I'm so descriptive, I want to mm-hmm. take the time and see the sceneries of these books and the clothing alone. <laughs> yes. I want to see Isn't it on, that... on the big screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just think that that would be so cool. So, you know, many people find that books of the 19th century and even the 20th century to be a bit antiquated and sometimes hard to read. What would you say to those people? Well, that's kind of why I say I want to bring what I love about 19th century literature to the 21st century reader because they um, they can be difficult to get through just the slow process of communicating or having something happen and, and they aren't getting to the point. But I would say to those people, and even the concepts of men and women's roles or, you know, things like slavery that, you know, you, you, like a lot of my English books, they have servants, you know. And sometimes I, I, I get kind of sensitive to that, calling them a servant, because we don't really refer to people as servants like that in the way that they did. And that can mm-hmm. be offensive and antiquated. But, but there's understanding of culture over time that I think we have to appreciate where we are today. And so to not overlook that or even place upon our values of today on, on those kind of writings and those kind of works, because there's something of value. And everybody's life, our lives aren't any different than the people of the past. Our feelings, what we want, what we seek, aren't any different from the past. And there's always mm-hmm. a human element that we learn from, and we have to be patient and understanding and learn from. If it's not good, we have to learn from it. So I would say that there's so much value in understanding these readings versus judging them, even if they're antiquated. 
That's that's really that's very well said. <clears throat> Doesn't surprise me that you would say that. So you mentioned that your dad was a teacher. I suspect mm-hmm. that you did a lot of reading growing up. Do you do you still read a lot today? <laughs> yeah, I read a lot. I'll read everything I can. Now, it, mm-hmm. me, when I say that, I have to laugh because I've done studying of writing in England, and I always felt oh. when I would go into these retreats with writers and these wonderful, brilliant, um, noted authors, and they're what they have read and the volume that they've read, the fact that they can quote poetry just off the tip of their tongues, I, I felt like the little kid in, in um, you know, elementary school that knew nothing because they're mm-hmm. so well read. But I say to that because I've read different things. And so I'm a fiction writer and I love stories, but I don't read a lot of fiction. <laughs> That's why I kind of made up really? I was reading a lot of fiction. Yeah, I read a lot of history, philosophy, science. Um, yeah, I just read a lot of different things because I, I, I love the world. I, like you, I, I, I'm excited about the world. I'm excited to learn about it. So I have a lot of fascination with, you know, science and archaeology or, you know, history. Like Finding Jane has a lot of science in it, you wouldn't know, but there's actually a lot of science of why she travels through time. Because I wanted to be very accurate as I could, even though this is kind of concept of time travel. Um, I mm-hmm. thought, you know, if you're going to read this, you're going to go, wow, that that really could happen. So um, I, yeah. I put that all into my writing to, to write fiction, but I really do read a lot of nonfiction. Do you, do you ever have more than one book going at a time? Uh, that, yeah, I have. I'm counting now. I think I have five books by my bed. I have three by my chair. I keep one oh, downstairs, and I've got some... It just depends upon my root and my mood. I mean, I have to read a book every month for book club, so I, I get centered on that. But then you have different moods. Like yes. Some days I just want to learn about something and I'll go read it. Or I'm, I'm in a, a sleepy mood and I just mm. don't want to do, you know, put think of something too deep. <laughs> so That's so book. interesting. So, and, and you're able to not confuse yourself like, what, what, was that, what was that guy about? You're able to separate those, all those books and remember where you left off, where you left off. Yes, but here's the thing about writing. Um, you should be able to pick up a book and know, remember who the character is, what's going on, you know, what the drama is. That's how good the writing should be. I have mm-hmm. to tell you that I haven't found a lot of books where I pick up and I go, oh, yeah, i got to get back to that. Or I, That's why I'm writing, because that's how I want you to feel. Like when you pick up one of my books, mm. you think, I can't put this down, or... I can't wait to see what happens. I want to be with these people yes. again. You know, um, right. and that, that, that's good writing to me when you can't wait to get back to those characters or when you leave a book and you're like, oh, I have to leave these people. I love them so much. Yes. Do you visualize mm-hmm. as you read? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I, I, there's some science to that, that, that there are some really? brains that cannot picture Things like, like to you, might be very natural. If I started describing, you know, there was a boat on an ocean and it had stripes on the bottom and there was a big red flag on it. You know, you could picture that right away. But there's actual yes. brains that can't do that. There's actual people that cannot visualize. And I found that fascinating. Mm. I'm like, wow, how do you go through life not being able to, to picture things? Wow, that's but interesting. Yes, I visualize a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's cool. Um, are, do you have some um, Favorite authors that you like reading? 
Uh, well, besides the classics, um, yeah, uh, one of my favorite authors today is Amor Tolles. I I just love his writing. I think he's a brilliant writer. Uh, gosh, his words are just good, mm-hmm. and visual, and he writes really interesting stories, inter- interesting characters. And he has three books out now. Uh, the Gentleman in Moscow is probably one of his most famous, but um, I just think he's a brilliant writer, just a brilliant writer. I'm, I, you know, I've had a, I've had a lot of authors on my show over the years, and you would ask me how long have I been doing this? A long time. Um, I mm-hmm. started in when was it? 2015, I think, <clears throat> in a mm-hmm. studio here in Los Angeles, and that went for three years, and then that turned over to being a podcaster, which really opened the floodgates for me personally because now you didn't have to drive into Westchester to join me, and which is what you had to do if you were going to be on my show. And so, you know, I have people mm-hmm. all over the country that are my guests. But um, because I have had a lot of authors, everybody has their own sort of way of writing. When when you write, do you outline, do you, are you pen to paper are you fingertip to computer? How, how, what's your style, or are you a combo? You know, I, I think this is a really good question to ask authors, the different authors that you have, because everybody has a different style and a different technique. I mean, I, have, mm-hmm. I work with writers who outline everything. I have writers mm-hmm. that literally write from Chapter 1 to Chapter 30 in, in order. I'm like, I'm amazed that oh. you can write like that. I, I'm a little mm-hmm. haphazard. I write okay. themes. So, so I write when something's happening, and I always say, I go, I talk to dead people, because that's how I see my books. Like, I'm starting to write my third novel. It's finished. I've got to go edit it. And then there's another novel I want to write, and it's been coming to me. And when I say it's coming to me, literally, I have my characters, these people. I can see them. I can hear them. They're talking to me. They're having conversations in my head. And I think, God, i got to sit down and write this, because I'm going to forget what they're saying, right. these beautiful scenes. And so I write them as they're, as it's happening, talking, like they're talking mm-hmm. to me, I have to go and write it down. And then I can sit down and write scenes. And then I kind of put them together, which usually kind of flows into a book, but I am not, uh, you know, one to write in order. I write, I, 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 I don't know how to explain my head, but it just kind of happens. And I watch it happen. Since, and the more they talk to me, the more they're developed the action happens. So I, I kind of know the concept that I'm doing, and I kind of know where it's going. I don't know mm-hmm. how it's going to end. <laughs> Interesting. It's kind of well, because <laughs> it's evolving, right? I mean, that's what it's doing. Yes. That, 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 well, that because you know what, it's, it, well, what, what I think about, Elizabeth, is that it keeps you motivated like oh my god i wonder maybe well maybe this maybe that well i don't know about that you know so i can see where the (laughs) excitement would be there you know but if i mean for me i know i would have to at least write down some key words so i realize oh yeah i did think about that too didn't i otherwise i'd I'd lose it (laughs) oh my god yeah so so it's a very different technique and 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 for like Mm -hmm, mystery writers mm -hmm. they have to know that there's this this mystery what the mystery is how it's going to be solved Who's involved? I don't have those right. those restrictions or constraints on me when I write because I write different. I'm more, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not a plot-driven person. I'm more character-driven. Mm-hmm. So I can have new characters come in. I can kill them off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, do you, when you're, it's a different process oh, for me. You're so funny. So if you're out taking the dog for a walk 
and you walk, you say hello to somebody that's walking their dog, and they're walking towards you, and you're walking, and you're looking up at the sky, and it's a beautiful day, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I just thought of something. Do you talk mm-hmm. to your talking to your cell phone and, and give yourself a note, or do you have paper with you? Or yes. I mean, if if it's something just no, comes I have, to you, I have done that. <laughs> is that? Is yeah, that I, I was wondering write, if you did that. Yeah, sometimes the words are so beautiful in my head, and I'm like, I gotta write it down exactly like that. So I'll take out my phone, and but not a lot. Most of the time, it's just sitting down and and mm-hmm. writing, um, and, and 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 then I'll say, no, that's not how it's how it's said in my head. <laughs> Right. Oh, it's that whole multitasking thing that can be such an enemy. Uh, let's talk about this fabulous book. We're not because I do want to talk about your new book, but let's talk okay. about um, finding Jane in your first book because maybe people um, didn't listen to that podcast. Um, so, just tell us a little bit about what finding Jane. And that book it was also historical. It was a tribe you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. time travel book. A sweet romantic journey of a woman trying to find love and its meaning with modern day perspectives to an old world old world notion. So, tell tell our listeners that maybe missed that podcast what a little what Finding Jane's about. So, Finding Jane is about a modern woman living in today's times who really you know plans her life, and we we all do. Mm-hmm. You know, she had a career, she had a boyfriend that she'd been with for almost nine years, living together, having a great time. And then he suddenly kind of just says, you know, this is not enough for me. I need, I need something more. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and, and her world kind of falls apart because her life is planned. And we tend to do that. We live in a very structured world where we plan our life. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to finish my career, going to go have a job, then I'll get married. And, and you know, we, we do that. And so her world was kind of uh, deconstructed all of a sudden. And so she goes to England to kind of figure out what's next for her. And while she's there, she um, – meets a psychic where it tells her, you know, you're kind of special. You have a special energy. And she only realizes what that means when she wakes up um, in the 19th century in this lovely English town. <laughs> and her world is kind of, her world is kind of turned upside down and she has to kind of deconstruct her own notion of what, you know, what her world is, what other people's world is, what love is, what relationships are and all of that. And she kind of figures that out in the 19th century through this time travel book. Um, and it's a really sweet story. It really is. It's romantic. It's um, interesting because, like I said, I have this time travel element that's really realistic. It's a lot of characters. So when it came to – can I move into Chosen Mistress? Sure, sure. <laughs> so I was doing the, yeah, so when I was doing the research for this book, and there's, you know, it's 19th century England. It's 1830s. It's right after the Regency or, you know, the last half of the Regency period. And there's a lot of research when you do historicals. And so I had to look at things like, how did people eat? What utensils did they use? How did they shower? How did, mm. Because she's a modern woman going back in time, I had to figure out, how did she brush her teeth? How was she going to bathe? How, <sighs> you know, how was she going to use, like, you know, womanly products and things like that? Yes. that I don't necessarily have to put in the book, but you have to but have that curious. mindset of a modern woman. Yes. Yeah. Like, how am I going to live in this world and can I fit in this world? And, um, so I had to look up all this interesting stuff, you know, what they wore, how they dressed, what did, what did they have on their beds? Did they have mattresses? Did they have pillows? Like so many things nobody ever oh, thinks about, cool. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I was doing that research, I came across all this other stuff. And when I say mm-hmm. oh, all this other stuff, it really was the underside of an era that was what we tend to think of as like innocent or 
pure or lovely or you know, there was a lot of you know hidden stuff about people and it made me realize people never change and I think that's my point of finding Jane it's like it doesn't matter what time you live in people are people they're the same no matter what right. you live in same problems right. same concerns same wants and desires um, they just wear different clothes. <laughs> and they probably don't have the internet. <laughs> oh God, that's um, so other, funny. We had the other entertainment. So, but so chosen the yes. I found a lot of lot of deep things, and so I that's why I skewed my book more towards the mid uh, Victorian era. So it's 1850s. Mm-hmm. This book takes place, and we tend to think of the Victorian era, you know, as this kind of Puritan era, um, people with morals and values. And then you start reading what people's lives really were like and what was hidden. And that's what got me thinking. I'm like, huh, Mm. this could be a great book. Hence, Chosen Mistress came about. Well, that's that was the perfect segue. Maybe you should do a maybe you should be a podcaster. So <laughs> let's talk about your new your new novel, Chosen Mistress, which is quite an interesting cover, I might add. We'll talk about that in a bit because you took a sharp yeah. left turn. We will. You took a sharp left turn dealing with the dark side of love. How, how did you get there? <laughs> well, like I said, so there was all this interesting stuff about people's lives, their secret lives. And Chosen, Chosen, if you read this out now, Chosen Mistress is about two cousins who are closest sisters, and they get separated um, right when they're becoming women. And uh, Charlotte, who's the main character, suddenly becomes penniless and homeless. And her cousin says, you know, come back to England. I will take care of you. Um, but when she gets back to England, she realizes that her cousin Lydia's life isn't as perfect as she thought. And her cousin Lydia marriage is kind of failing. And so she turns to Charlotte and says, you know, I need your help. And they always promise they'd be there for each other. And she goes, okay, what do you need? And she says, I need you to become my husband's mistress. And so that oh my goodness. It takes away this. <laughs> and everybody goes, why? Oh. And I go, because you have to read the book to find out. Um, and, and so there starts the, the dark side of marriage and relationships and the secrets everybody holds and how they maneuver their lives behind this curtain and I look at all aspects of life not just those two but everybody involved and the world in which they are placed is supposed to be this image of one thing but how people's lives really are on the dark side of that and um, so that so it's not the Mm. sweet innocence the innocence of finding Jane but it's still very romantic uh, great characters great relationships moral values philosophy it's Mm. got everything Put the kitchen sink in there. Wow. wow. Well, it sounds very scintillating and almost an ideal spicy romance book, but you do not categorize <laughs> your book as a romance, and I'm just curious why. Mm-mm. Well, I, I, again, because I'm writing books that are character-driven, not plot-driven. And, and I, I like to say not that people who read romance won't like my book, but when you read a romance, you're expecting a certain arc and you're expecting a certain behavior of your characters and the plot and the way it goes. Mine really mm-hmm. is um, character-driven. It's about, you know, these women, and there's many women in this book, their lives and maneuvering their lives and developing <laughs> and managing their life in a world that's very misogynistic and limiting to their power and how they wield power to get what they need and want in a world that doesn't allow them to have that. And so it's a very philosophical 
concept of a book versus just, you know, here's a story, let's go through it, and, you know, and here we are, have a happy ending. Um, so it's really about how these characters maneuver their world and how they developed and how you and you get to see that you know through the story and at the very end. So I'm not a romance wow. book. When you pick up a romance, you're going to expect a certain thing, and I don't want people to go mm-hmm. okay because there's not always happy endings. There's a lot of twists mm-hmm. and turns, and it's not this relationship isn't about a man and a woman. This relationship is really about Charlotte and Lydia and their relationship together, their friendships, their bonds, their family. Interesting. So it it mm-hmm. sounds like it's a pretty layered book. But ultimately, it has yes. a feminist theme running through it, right? So what can you tell us about that? Um, yeah, you know, I, it's so funny because I didn't set out to write a feminist book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I live in the 20, what are we, the 21st century now? <laughs> I yes, I guess. Century. I don't know. I can't keep track. I've, I've, you know, yeah. I've grown up during the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and I'm aging myself. So, you know, I, I live in a world where you know, women have changed, our roles have changed, our power has changed. And um, so I guess I'm always going to write, in fact, I was reading uh, an article by somebody who's saying that, that all our books have elements of us as authors. And so I'm, I guess I'm always going to, like, it's even with Finding Jane, Jane is, you know, a strong woman. So I'm always going to put that in my characters, because that's how I know women. That's how, what I know. You always write what you know. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. women in here, um, this isn't, they're all really strong Women, and I, I think what I love about it is, like I said, they get to their, and, and not that they know it, but they don't have a lot of power. They're not significant. You know, women are there to get married and bear children, and then you grow old and die, right? So <laughs> these women, I, but that's their world. It's not like they're, they, they know that there's like the bemoaning that that is the world that they mm-hmm. live in. So you have to look at like, the reality. How are they, yeah, that's the reality. So how are they maneuvering their lives? And that's what I love about this book. It's like, wow, like today we go, I wouldn't put up with that, or I wouldn't take that, or I would do it differently. But you wouldn't, because that's not the world they lived in. So how did they manage to to find happiness or to find freedom or to wield power so that they were, they could to get through day-to-day life? And you see that through um, my different characters of women in this story. Wow. Do you ever visualize them? Yes. It's, it's, I bet you do. No, I, I, I expected you to say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, no, it's funny because when I write my characters, I do give them uh, descriptive characters. You know, I, I describe mm-hmm. that Lydia's blonde or, you know, golden and, and Charlotte's brown hair. But I purposely write my characters, my books, so that everybody who's reading it has a different vision of who that person oh. is they they don't have to be look a certain way and you know you know you know that's what that person looks like i want people to feel like charlotte they can step into charlotte's body and that they can imagine mm-hmm. themselves living her life making the decisions that she has so i purposely try not to be pinpoint those descriptions so can i see them yes and if somebody said to me let's, let's make this a movie you know, who do you want as your character? You know, I would probably say, oh, right. I want somebody who's like, you know, five four, brunette, da da da. But the, I wouldn't say I, I know exactly who I want it to be because I think anybody right. can fill that role in, in certain restrictions. Because I, yeah. So I, I, yes, I can picture them, but I also don't nail down exactly what they look like so that you can imagine in your own mind what you think they are, right. who they are, what right. they look like. Mm-hmm. So when you wrote this book, who? 
who were you appealing to? Who did you think was going to be your, as we, as they say in, in your world, your target market? I say this a lot. I think a lot of books today, uh, especially romantic books, are targeted towards a younger audience. And, and being the <laughs> age that I am, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere up in those 50s, um, you know, I, I just found, like, I wasn't finding characters, like, that I could relate to. Because I have mm-hmm. a I have a lifetime of experience, you know, <laughs> of, right. of um, experiences and thoughts and, and growth, and so I I wanted to have characters that I felt more um, sympathetic with. Like I can I go okay I can imagine my life like that, and um, a lot of times I just find characters really young in stories that I sit there and go oh, that you know I, I can't relate to that because I'm 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 past that, you know I'm a grown mm-hmm. woman with adult children now, you know I've had a lot of experiences so. Um, I tend to write my books. Uh, man, my characters are young. Don't get me wrong. My characters are right, um, right. in their twenties. Mm-hmm. I don't. It's not that I'm writing older characters or younger characters in particular. Um, I just I wanted to appeal to a wider audience of women. So I want to make sure that I'm not catering just to one age group and their their sensibilities. Does that does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I want it does. So my 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 age group is probably. Um, I would say 35 to 65, like my range, that's my target audience. Mm-hmm. You know? that's, that's, and, and that's, that's why I like the, the, yeah, I wanted more, um, you know, I said I add a lot of philosophy and depth to to my storylines because I want mm-hmm. I want somebody to enjoy this great romantic love story, but also things that they can chew on as well and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me because that that's something that I would think about now. As, a, as an older mm-hmm. woman or something like that. So it's different. So you say my, st- my stories are layered. Yes, they are layered. I, like with Finding Jane, it's a fun time travel romantic book. But then when you look at the layers of it, you know, I've got some really interesting um, political stuff in there uh, of the time. Um, philosophy, mm-hmm. like I said, science and history. It's all there. You just, if that's your sensibility, you'll find it. Did you bring that kind of thought process to um to the chosen mistress yeah yeah so okay. so again you, you, it'll be a fun scintillating kind of i think kind of sexy book mm-hmm. and this kind of controversial okay. element of it but then like when they're talking there'll be layers of philosophy in there <laughs> where my friend she goes well you're really talking deep here and i'm like yeah if you want it it'll be there if you don't want it right it, you know you'll just skip over it's not but it's it's a layered story, so you'll see it mm-hmm. by the things that they talk about, or the way they treat different people in the story, or the way they see certain values in a story. You know, some people will pick up on it, some people won't. Right. So, you know, in in both of your novels, you have strong female characters who have great conflict mm-hmm. over men. That hasn't changed forever. Morals, love, <laughs> and yet they are not enemies. And they're not out to get mm-hmm. each other, which I think is very interesting. This is a little unusual storyline in a world where there's drama and revenge. Uh, t- talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about, about that. Yeah, you know, um, again, I hate to keep on going back to Finding Jane, but there's a main character That's who's okay. her love enemy, sure. so to speak. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, there's scenes that I will write about. And so, um, and the same with, with Chosen Mistress, you have Charlotte and Lydia, they're, they're love enemies. And it could be very dramatic, and they could hate mm-hmm. each other. But I don't li- like. To me, it's like we're human, and I think 
especially in the world that we live in now, we're like really going into this black and white world. Like if you believe this way, you're against me. And I don't think mm-hmm. we are like that. I think humans are more, have more in common than they don't. And I think we sometimes forget that and that we can have opposing thoughts and opposing situations, but still be kind or empathetic or understanding of each other right. without killing each other. And I mean, that's kind of my general view about life, you know? And so I never wanted my characters. I I think that's like, there's too much hate and, and battling. I don't, I don't like that. I I wanted to bring it to a higher level. Um, I I get that. A more human level, a more, you know, like there are two sides to everything. And and sometimes we do things. We're not trying to hurt each other, but we do. Mm -hmm. And there's consequences to that. And, and I have, all my books have consequences for actions that are not good. Um, and, and there's a moral value in everything I write, mm-hmm. but that's why I, I didn't want, I don't want the quote drama to be in hating each other. I want the drama in the story. So why, why did you choose those? Right. I, but I get that. So why did you choose to create this kind of narrative? Um, <laughs> that goes back oh. to, that goes back to my, um, my original I. I have characters that talk to me. I, I'm, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just these storylines come to me and the people come to me and they start talking to me. And it's kind of like I'm writing their story. I'm not creating mm-hmm. it. So this wow. story, um, I mean, because if you were to say, why did you choose this story? Why have her cousin be her husband's mistress? And what was that? I'm like, I, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you a little secret, everybody. I don't know. <laughs> what? Oh, that's funny. There's, there's oh my like gosh! Great, like I had to say something. It was kind of like these people came to me with their story, and I had to write it down. I know that sounds weird, but that's no. I I I would imagine that if you were to go to a writer's workshop, and you were sitting, or you went to a TED talk, and there was a bunch of writers in the room, I bet you'd be hearing uh-huh. very similar things from those writers as well. And I and I yeah. think that it's well, very it's very well no and you know I think it's is you know I'm a word person, you know that about me. And uh-huh. um sometimes and, and and when I don't know, I'm not a, I'm not uncomfortable to ask or even repeat myself until I figure it out. And we had talked uh, off the air and I thought maybe we could just do this right here real quick. When you refer to yourself mm-hmm. as a writer, I always thought that somebody that wrote a book, I always thought, but I think it's incorrect, that if you wrote a book, and I'm using the word wrote, writer, wrote, I always mm-hmm. thought that meant that you were an author. But there is some, there, there's some distinguishing differences, is that right, between what somebody would refer to themselves as an author over somebody that refers to themselves as a writer? Well, you know, I, and you say that, and it almost makes me want to go and do some research on it because I don't know how people, people who write a novel, do they consider themselves just an author? Do they consider themselves a writer? I mean, does it take several books to be say I'm a writer? You know, I was telling you that writers come in different, different forms, shapes, everything. You know, you can write mm-hmm. journal articles, you could write sports columns, you can, you know, write um, graphic novels. So you write, I mean, the value of writing, everybody's a writer, you know, they all can write, 
but to me being a writer, like my profession being a writer is that it's, it's my, it's my skill set. I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm getting better. It's just like if somebody was a plumber, I, I can fix a sink. Do I call myself a plumber? No. You know, he has a skill set, a yeah. knowledge, a background, and experience. So I kind of, for me, and, and other people might say it differently, so I'm not going to define it for everybody else. But to me, I think if you call yourself a writer, is that that, that is your skill set. That's something that you, you develop and learn and grow and are doing and experiencing all the time. There are many people who can be an author. They write a book and they say, oh, I authored a book. You know, that there are just mm-hmm. different ways to look at it. How you define mm-hmm. yourself, I won't, I won't say that this is how everybody is, but that's how I look sure. at it. You know, I'm an author and a writer because I write poetry. I write short stories. I've written for columns for the industry. You know, so I've written lots of different things. Um, I'm constantly learning, growing, taking classes, being under the tutelage of people. So I'm, I'm, trying, to be this, I'm trying to be a true writer, like a skilled writer. Um, and that's why I call myself terrific. a writer and an author because I've authored novels and, and things like that. Okay, let me. It, it's sort of. So yeah. let me ask you this, and we're talking definitions. And this, I don't mean to sound ignorant. What's the difference between a novel and a book? Oh my gosh, you just sorry. Me. I don't think there is. I, uh, I um, okay, good. I All right. I don't, I don't know if there is. I prefer They're interchangeable. To call my book a novel. Yeah, yeah. I think it's okay. interchangeable. Now, All somebody's right. going to call or write in and go, uh uh-uh. uh. Well, you know, and, and, and everybody has. A, there you go. So will I. So, um, how long did it take you to write um, Chosen Mistress? I'm just curious. Um, this this book actually, when I when I say it started coming to me, and I remember the moment it came to me, um, it started flooding my head, and I think I wrote it in nine months. Wow. But it's taken me almost another nine months to edit it and get it out into the mm-hmm. world, maybe a little longer. So, you know, to me, I, I take a long time to write books. I'm not one of those people that can write a book in three months or, you know, 18 days or whatever <laughs> some people can write. I need time. I'm about right. a, a year, a nine month writing the book. If I sat down every day, I write it in about, you know, nine months. And then depending upon when I needed to get out and my editor's time and everything, is editing takes a long mm-hmm. time for me. So it's just another process let's, of writing. Okay. So let's let's go back to your books for a minute. Um, the men mm-hmm. in your books. Can we talk? Mm-hmm. Um, many will complain that the men in romance stories, women's fictional fiction in general, are not realistic. They're too kind, they're too good looking, they make love too well, they express their feelings <laughs> too unrealistically. That love doesn't look like that what the way you portray it. Let, you know, so so like with princess stories of the past, are you perpetuating a fantasy that only disappoints women when faced with reality? Let's talk about that. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what? <laughs> you know, um, men are flawed. Let's just face it. And I, you know, I when I started, right? I know I had a lovely father. I mean, he was not perfect, but he was a great man. And I. I know a lot of great men. I know a lot of great relationships, men in relationships. So, you know, I have a high, high, you know, I don't want to say high standard. Um, I, I just have seen a lot of good. And I feel like sometimes 
especially now in modern, we, we look at men and we make them dumb, stupid, fat. They don't get things. Like we're kind of perpetuating this, this notion that men are oafs. And I don't think they are. So um, I don't want to portray them as oafs or the bad guy or the violent guy or, you know, I, I, I want to bring out the goodness of men. Again, because I think it goes back to how I feel about our humanity. I think people are, mm-hmm. there are good people. And there's nothing wrong with treating them as good individuals. Now, I say that in that I want my daughter who's 20, she, you know, she reads a lot or watches shows, and men are always, like, awful. They're just treated, you know, they're just like the bad guys. They want to use you, da, 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 da. And I get it. There's a reality to that. Don't, don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. I also want her to see what men can be and have a standard of what, how she should look at men in the world. Like, if you constantly see men as jerks, oafs, idiots, you know, you, you're going to constantly look at them that way. And you're right. not going to have high expectations. So I kind of wanted to treat men in my stories as honorable men, men that you should want to have in your life, men that you should achieve when looking mm-hmm. for a spouse or a partner. Does that make sense? I'm not idealizing them, but I want it, I want it, them to have values. Yeah, yeah, I want them to have values that you will take and say, that's what I want in a man. That's what I'm looking right. for, and that's what I'm going to expect. So that when you go out in the world, will men fulfill those expectations? Maybe, maybe not, but mm-hmm. at least you know mm-hmm. what you want and what you're worthy of. Right. I do think that... Um in the household that you grow up in with your mom and your dad, do you think that that mm-hmm. has an effect on how you approach this? I think it always has an effect in how we approach life is the people that mm-hmm. you're surrounded with. You know, I have, I have three mm-hmm. brothers and a father. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, I see men, you know, I, how I saw men in the world was how they behaved and how they treated their spouses or girlfriends or just the world in general. And, you know, my brothers are mm-hmm. really good guys. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, and I want my daughter to see that too. I want my daughter to know that, that, that there are good guys out there. And so, um, Absolutely. yeah, it definitely has an effect on you. Yeah. So well, I, you I found one. You know, I, I did, I did. And I, I think that my men, I, I don't want to write them too, per- and I don't write them perfect at all. And I make them think like men. So when you read them, they have thoughts good. like men. And, um, but I don't want to trash them. I want them to be, I always have them really kind of acting, well, there's bad characters in them. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Right. The the heroes of the stories have moral compasses and moral codes in which they live by um, and act upon. And so that's how I present them in my stories. Well, I I like that. I mean, well, you know, uh, know, I, I think about, my own husband, I think about my my own father, I think about my brother, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I, I do think it's, you know, we we all live our own personal lives, but I, I, I think that, you know, to just put every every man into a book as a bad guy, you know, and, and not worthy, you know, is, is you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't appreciate that, but Mm-hmm. Um, and, and looking at your cover, and all the, those of you that have already visited Elizabeth's website, or if you haven't, you sure need to, the cover is quite beautiful. And I'm sure there's a story behind this. Can you tell us about it and what problems you've had about it? Yeah. 
Yeah, so the cover, if you know, people don't know, it's this beautiful woman who's who's naked, basically. <laughs> She's curled up. Yes. And I have it covered polite you know, you know, with all my designs and everything like that. But it's a famous painting by Henry Lehman. He was an eighteenth or nineteenth century artist. So it's about it's almost a hundred and eighty year old painting that I, you know, got from the Met. Um and paid for it, by the way. And it's a beautiful representation of my story. I think it's just got that romanticism to it, and it's beautiful. It's not erotic or, you know, raunchy or anything like that. But I right. and, and you can see it. It's it's very pretty. But I have been turned down by TikTok, Facebook, in, oh. uh, Instagram, uh, all mm. not wanting to take my ads because they 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 quote it's indecent or. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't. It's nudity that they don't accept in their advertising, and I'm I'm just kind of a um, aghast. Like I'm like, what? Like this is a famous painting. You wouldn't do this with you know the Statue of David or Botticelli's Venus. You know, you can see that all right. over the internet. But for right. some reason, this picture they 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 turn it away because of nudity, and it's really tastefully done. It's not. It's not like I said. It's not. Um, it's not erotic or or lazy or sexy in any way it's just a really beautiful painting and i'm just kind of shocked and i think this goes back to my storyline like you could right. you could have a naked man and no problem but you have a, a woman and all of a sudden it's like oh we can't show that and it's like I, I, you know, it's, it's like double I, standard yeah. again um i so i, I you know the other laugh at it because i yeah go ahead yeah. no i i didn't i let me let you finish your thought and i wanted to give you my opinion about this a cover as well. No, I just wanted to be really beautiful because the book is mm-hmm. really beautiful. The storyline's mm-hmm. really beautiful, even though it has this kind of scintillating title, Chosen Mistress. It, you know, it's definitely mm-hmm. scintillating, but ultimately it's beautiful. It's a beautiful romantic story. And I think the cover portrays that in every possible way. It's just that nudity thing, I, I just kind of have to laugh at because we see naked, sexy, erotic stuff every day of our life on commercials, on social media, in ads, on the billboards. And yet here I have this beautiful 180-year-old painting, and they, they find that right. inappropriate. When I, when I look at it, and, and you, you have tastefully put words in locations on, you know, that are deliberate, but I must say that I go straight to her eyes. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Oh. It's like... Yeah. It's like yeah. It, because I honestly I wasn't familiar with the famous painting, so I didn't even know that. But um, mm-hmm. it's like her eyes are all knowing, and it's 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 yeah. it's really, I, I that's what I saw there. So um, what's up next for you, my friend? I'm sure you, there's always a book going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, that's what's so funny because I've written two historicals and everybody's like, so what's your next historical? Which I do already have a storyline for that. That's for another conversation. Okay. So my next book actually, so I am a single story author. I do not write series. And I I didn't want to be put in a box either because I'm, I'm a creative. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to be able to write whatever comes to me because they do come to me. So my third book actually is a contemporary novel and I – I just want to say really quickly, because a lot of novels today, the main character, movies, shows, whatever you want to look at it, you'll, you'll get this. If she's a woman over 40, you don't see her. She's not the main character. Nobody wants to know about her life. 
we're always put if you notice we're all always in roles of mothers who the daughter doesn't get along with or in grandmotherly roles that we are wise and you know give them knowledge but we're never the main character <laughs> so this this next novel is taking a woman who is um in her late 40s i think early 50s and she's the main character and she's going to find love and she's going to be sensual and significant and it's going to be intriguing because i think there there's nothing wrong with women over 40 <laughs> seriously being the main yeah. character of her life not being relegated to some mother role or grandmotherly role that we actually are significant and impassioned and as vivacious as any 25 30 year old about life love and the pursuit of it I love that I think that that's great mm -hmm. And 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 I think it it appeals to so many when you say that, you know I think that's a very mm -hmm. appealing um, concept. So we had just a few minutes left, and I, I I like to ask this when there's some time left. And so I know you weren't expecting me to ask you this, but I don't think this will be the least bit difficult for you to answer. And that is, how do you find balance in your life? How do you how do you balance that creative? mindset you know working on a novel working on a historical doing all those things and your life itself how do you how do you stay in balance well when i'm working on a book my husband will attest to this i i go to my office and i work eight eight ten hours a day because i'm immersed oh, in boy. the story and it's really hard to okay. find balance but with that said um and i get a lot of you know these things from um younger writers who have families because my kids are older now but I started writing when my mm -hmm. kids were smaller and it's really hard and I used to write from like 11 at night till 2 or 3 in the morning because that was when the only time I had you know because I had to take care wow. of family and work and household sure. and sports and everything else and there wasn't any time so so that balance is really hard I don't want anybody to think that you know I don't understand that you know I've got a family I got a life I got a job I got I can't do this but for me now my kids are older um, I write all day long but I have other interests. You know, I love to garden. Um, mm. You know, you've seen on my Instagram, I'm a big flower, t you know, gardener, and I take lots of yes, pictures. Yes, you are. I love working outside. I love you know, taking my dog for a walk and looking at nature. I, I just, that's how you get away from it. That's how you balance your life, finding happiness and other things. Also, I love to, you know, my new thing, <laughs> you'll see it. I like What's making that? cocktails. It's a new interest for me, you know, learning how to be a mixologist. Um Wow. So it's okay. Just, yeah. That's so funny you should you should bring that up. I don't remember who I was talking to this weekend, but we got on the conversation of cocktails and this person said, "You know, I used to drink Singapore slings all the time." And I went, "Oh my god. I don't remember the last time I heard that term." <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, Isn't that yeah, funny? All the cocktails, those old, like when I was younger in my 20s, I'd go to New York for work and I would be with my big management and then the, you know, the server would come up and they go, would you like to, you know, I go, I'll have a seven and seven. And they'd all look at me like, how old are you, 80? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's, you know. that's so funny. It's, it's, that's, that is funny. Um, and it's, yeah. and it has so much to do with, you know, just, your lifestyle, you know, my husband was a tremendous chef. I wouldn't call him a cook. He was a tremendous chef, and I was a really good table setter. I had, I, I have so many dishes I could just, I could go a year without repeating a dish. But um, 
and I don't mean what you eat, I mean what you eat on. Um, but, yes, yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny because, you know, we all bring our own um, special specialness to whatever it is that we do. Mm-hmm. Some people know what that is. Some people know what their purpose is. Others, they might not, and that's okay too. But mm-hmm. I sort of feel like I have a purpose. I feel that you absolutely have a purpose. And and that's and that's a good thing, you know, because then what, what comes along for me with purpose is gratitude. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that they are partners in life. If you have a purpose, <clears throat> but you don't feel grateful about it, then what's the point? Um, right. So I, I I do feel that I have a lot of gratitude. So I do a lot of walking. I I take yoga once a week. You know, I try to really mix it up a little bit. And I see so many people with their dogs. What kind of a dog do you have? I feel like I remember from last time. He's a Maltese cockapoo. That's right. He's a cockapoo. So he's a little yeah. he's a little guy. He's not one of these big giant um, uh, doodles that we see no. everywhere. No, oh no, god. No, no. no. He's less than god. 20 pounds. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so great. Well, Elizabeth this has once again been just a delightful conversation, and you and I both know I don't consider these interviews. This is just you and me sitting down, having a nice conversation, and you are so easy to talk with. I don't mean talk to. Aww. I mean talk yeah. with. And and I want to just thank you um, again for for joining me today. Maybe we make this a yearly thing where we just see well so what did you do since last year but i i just i want to thank you because i think that people that will listen to this especially if i would just say to all of you out there that are in book clubs this may really be something that you would like to do with your book club where you could do a zoom with elizabeth i know she'd be up to that she's very easy to find she's very easy to contact so just thank you once again for spending this afternoon with me. It, it was a pleasure, truly. Thank you, Marcia. I want to say one thing to you when you said you yes, have a ma'am. purpose, and I, I think I might have said this before, but your purpose, you bring so much joy to me when oh. I read and watch or listen to your podcast and I see you on Facebook. Your purpose really is to bring joy into the world, and I think you do a great job at that, and I enjoy talking with you, but when I'm with you and I hear your voice, I just feel joy, so I wanted to thank you for that. Oh. <sighs> That was a gift. My mother-in-law would say, don't try and talk her out of that, Marsha. She would say, just say thank you. So thank you. That was really kind what you said. And I will let you get on with your day. I will go ahead and close out our podcast now, but I look forward to doing this again. But I also look forward to staying in touch, Elizabeth. You are somebody special in my life. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, everybody. The timeless story you know and love is Broadway's number one holiday hit, Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. 
the musical. Catch the Grinch in this heartwarming holiday classic perfect for the entire family. 100 times better than any bedtime story, cheers the New York Times. Coming to the Hollywood Pantages Theater December 6th through the 17th. Tickets at Broadway and Hollywood.com. Catch the Grinch live for the holidays.